Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Welcome and welcome back everybody to the Dr. Dad's podcast. We're excited to deliver another amazing, what we think to be an amazing episode. We've got a great guest and speaker and well-known authority on some cool concepts that we're going to dive into in a moment. Uh, first, I want to say hello to my partner in, we partner in crime, partner in health. We get into that a little bit. <laughs> Your partner in crime is Clarissa. You've already stated that on multiple podcasts. But how you do? How you doing, David? Good to see you, buddy. I'm fantastic, brother. How are you, man? Really good. Really good. I, I'm looking forward to this, man. This, these are, this is a fun subject for us as always, and I think our listeners really like this stuff as well from the feedback we get. So mindset, and we're going to dig into some fun stuff. And <clears throat> yeah, man, I'm always looking forward to these for sure. Yeah, definitely. So uh, drum roll. We are about to invite uh, Alex Terranova onto our podcast. This guy is a beast of a man. He's he's a good-looking dude, and he's currently residing in San Diego, California. But that's that's some exciting news right there. But he's recently released a new book called Fictional Authenticity, and that name stirs so many conversations in and of itself. And I love that name. But uh, he's, uh, he's been featured on all sorts of different amazing uh, media outlets, Focus TV's Good Morning La La Land, NBC Radio, The Rising Man Podcast, Elephant Journal, The Sovereign Society Podcast, The Coaching Show, Love Living Radio, and episode of The Villain Crusher. These are huge, huge um, media outlets. And it's really, it's really exciting to have someone who's, you know, walk the walk, live the life, teaching others and then has uh, done the work of writing a book on this process. So Alex, welcome to the show, buddy. Man, it's like on my podcast, I usually get to introduce people and uh, <laughs> people, don't all, people don't always introduce, you know, when I come on the other shows, but thank you that, uh, that like I'm listening to what I've done and I'm like, man, you know, we don't give ourselves credit often, right? We just keep like, if you're a type A high performer, you know, we're, we're custom just like succeed, achieve. And like, I'm listening to you and I'm like, man, I've done some good stuff. Like I need to be proud yeah. of myself for, for a moment. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I'm glad you started there because I mean, the part of being authentic is, is giving ourselves uh, that pause to reflect on our wins and our victories and, and where we're showing up in the world. And <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys, but I often don't do that. You know, we're, we're dads, we're doctors, we're, we're, you know, there's these little wins that show up every day, just getting my kids to school. And I, and I, <laughs> I sometimes forget to go, wait a second. That was just, that was kind of nuts. I did it. I completed, you know, thank goodness, but definitely for things like this, where you're putting your work out into the world. So please you know, tell us, tell us more about you. Tell us more about your story and, and what stirred the, the conversation on fic fictional authenticity. Um, we're, we're looking forward to hearing more about you. Yeah, well, I want to say first, too, that like it never ends, right? You were just you were talking about me and like all the things I've done or, or all the growth. And it's like, man, and I'm still doing it. You know, right before this call, I was on the phone with a another coach that I know and respect who trained like alongside me in a way. And we were talking about fear. I called her up and basically was like, hey, can we walk through this exercise that we both use? Because... I this morning realized I'm in a new place in a lot of areas of my life. And what was this thing that I was feeling that I would have used to call overwhelm, 
because I didn't have a word for it. I actually didn't have a connection with feelings. You know, as a man, I was just like, I, I, I said, I called myself like the golden rhino, the golden rhino, just like you have a problem, just like run through a wall and everybody <laughs> thinks you look great, but you're never actually dealing with the things that are coming up. And today I had this realization that I was like, man, I'm afraid. I'm like actually afraid of some of the, some, like some of the things that I'm up against right now. And it's, I'm done just running through walls. It's time to like actually be with that, that stuff. So I'm still doing this work. Like it, I, I do not, I read the other day, if you're on this planet, you still got more work to do. Hmm. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Well, I gotta say, I, I love that you're out of the gates sharing that vulnerability. I mean, you're, you're teaching by, by living it. So yeah, just thank you for that. Way to yeah. set the tone, buddy. I love it. <laughs> um, you asked about fictional authenticity too. So, and I didn't, and I didn't, um, Fictional authenticity, people say to me sometimes like you write the book and then you come up with the name or you write the movie and then come up with the name. I often, it's the opposite way. I'll be in, you know, like a yoga class or doing meditation or something where it forces, you know, my quieter on hyperactive shit talking mode. Can I, I don't know if I can say, can I say that on your guys? Um, oh, you it is not it. nice to me. It is not nice to me is a nicer way to say it. Um, and so when I can get it quiet, I often think that, that, that part of me that's inside speaks to me louder or God or whatever you believe, but that, that piece, I can actually hear it. That like really heart. Um, it's almost like your heart actually, you can, you can hear it. And I was in a yoga class like five years ago and I heard, and I, and I like saw this term in my mind, fictional authenticity. And I went, Oh my, like it just, it was like a smack in the face. And I went, Oh my God, that's how I've been living my life. Hmm. everyone thinks I'm authentic I think I'm authentic I'm at the, the time I was 32 33 and I'm I know myself I'm like the most real authentic guy that people meet and I realized that all of it was actually nonsense that it was hmm. all kind of caricature created like as a little boy like oh a man should be like this you know I looked up to people like Hulk Hogan and the big WWF wrestlers from the 80s and uh, the action stars like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and the like guys who could get all the girls from like the TV shows. And I, all I did was piece together what a man was from media. Mm -hmm. And then at like 30 something years old, that's who I was. I wasn't actually Alex. I was this combination of all these things. And I, and that's really the book is my story of like looking at that, like unpacking that and then offering a reader the opportunity to look at their life because I think unintentionally we all have done this, right? We were all influenced by the movies we saw, the stories our parents told us, the things that, you know, our communities, our churches, our, our, uh, our sports coaches, whatever it is, essentially put in our brain before we even had an idea, a, a moment to realize who we were or discover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, David. I know you got some stuff to say. You know, when it, I love the name, by the way, of the book. It's it's awesome. It's Thanks. such a it's such a good way of describing this. And you're right, man. I think we unintentionally fall into this uh, just as human beings uh, early on in life. And then I think we spend a, a large part of our. Me and Nick always talk. Our twenties are always interesting years. That decade because we're trying to find ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you're right, man. I mean, it's kind of like you show up every day and you you're constantly wearing all these masks right you're you're bending yourself to the people that you're with and like you're saying like there's not a whole lot of authenticity there early on in life for many 
I, I would say it's a very rare thing to have that authenticity uh, even before 18, man. Like if you've got authenticity before you're 18, you're on a fast track to enlightenment, right? Um, <laughs> but absolutely, man. I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And, and if you wouldn't mind diving into like what brought, what stirred this awakening? Like where, where did this come from? I know you talk um, about how, you know, when you're growing up trying to trying to uh, find your identity and, 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 you know, I don't want to give it away, but I want you to tell the story of just, you know, yeah. when you're younger, what, what stirred this kind of thinking and this thought process for you? Yeah. I want to touch really quick what David said too, before I even go, like, I think that for most of us, it, keeps going the inauthentic place i don't think most and the reason i say that is because if you go walk into a in a boardroom like a meeting that's going on in a company how many people are afraid to say what they want to say that's being inauthentic how many people are not asking that person on a date that they want to ask out or how many people are lying in bed with their partner their significant other the person that they married or are in some partnership and have some thought that they are unwilling to say because of some fear to me that's like all inauthenticity um and so, yes, I think we become more clear, but I think there's like these, these layers that we're still unwilling to go to because of fear, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, all this happened, I, so I used to open restaurants, bars. I, I, was, um, I found myself in the hospitality industry as a teenager and stayed in it through college. And after college, didn't know what to do. And by the time I was like 25, 26, I was opening restaurants for restaurant groups. Um, I was drinking too much. I, you know, I would drink essentially to have fun and to make feelings not exist. So, and then the counter to that was like trying to get laid. Like I got my self-worth as a man from, I would say like how it looked and how women perceived me and gave me feedback. So if women liked me, then I felt great about myself. And if they went home with me and went to bed with me, I felt even better about myself. But the next day in the morning when that was over, I felt like crap because now I have to do the whole thing again. Same thing with the alcohol or, you know, marijuana or whatever. And um, I, I played this game like inadvertently. And if it wasn't those things, it was like buying stuff, right? Like consumerism, like having to have a good car, or, like certain clothes or whatever. And um, I played this game for a really long time, unknowingly not realizing like how much pain I was actually causing myself and probably, you know, other people in the, you know, other people that were like getting hit by debris of all of this. And uh, I found myself in New York City at like 31, 32, repeating the pattern, thinking, you know, that I moved to New York, I would leave my problems behind, but really I just recreated them in a new way in New York City. And I was in Costa Rica on a vacation with my family. I'm on a family vacation, Costa Rica, my girlfriend at the time is with me. And I remember being like unsatisfied with like my whole life. You know, I don't have the amount of money I want to have when I probably had more than like 99% of the world. You know, I don't live in the place I want to live in. I live in an apartment in New York City. Like, like you know, it's like I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I don't have like the, the toys, the, you know, the gadgets and the things. Like I have all the things. You need. But basically, it's always like not what I don't have, not being grateful or appreciating what I do. Great job that I wasn't appreciative and I didn't really, wasn't really enjoying. Great girlfriend, same thing, that I wasn't appreciative and wasn't really enjoying and probably not always being my best self with. And my cousin, who was dealing with her own kind of stuff at the time in Costa Rica, came back to the dinner table and asked us what we were grateful for. Like as a way to kind of reset the energy within the family. And everyone took their spot 
And when it got to me, normally I would have made like some sort of inappropriate joke, would have deflected it, couldn't be with it. And for the first time in my life, I say like, God, the universe, whatever, punched me like right in the face Mm -hmm. because I snapped. And I was somebody who, you know, I think I probably cried like five times in my life outside of when I was like a baby. And I snapped in that moment and I broke into tears, like bawling, like could not speak. My family was slack jawed, staring at me. My girlfriend at the time was like, you know, two years and never seen me like that. And in that moment, it like hit me how I had everything that almost everybody wants, but yet I was grateful for none of it and unappreciative and a jerk basically. And in that moment I went, I just remember being so clear, like you have to change the way your life is going even though it looks great on paper and you have all these things, who you are in relationship to yourself is not working. And it's, and if you don't change, that's not going to change. Wow. That's, that's a beautiful story. And how many people are stuck in that place? Do you think like, I mean, this is something that you allowed yourself to open to by virtue of the right energy being in, in a relaxed environment or whatever that was for you. But I mean, good for you because people go to their deathbed, not ever realizing that, that gift. And as you said, you, you, you never felt like you had enough. You never felt like you were enough despite your environment mirroring back to you that everything was taken care of. And yet you came to this place of, of uh, that realization that you weren't grateful for any of it, like way to sink into that feeling. And, and so what, what then what happened? Like what, what, what was, what did that instigate for you? I think, you know, then for whatever reason, I got really lucky and I don't, luck is a weird word to use, but I think like we often, you know, people have moments like this, right? Bad car accident, like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to change or they get cancer or someone dies. And we have these like moments I talk about in the book, how like life gives us these moments where like new doors open, but life won't always like make us walk through them. We have this opportunity to choose. And every once in a while, life grabs us by like the back of our collar and our belt and our belt and just chucks us through a door, which I describe as those like car accident moments, cancer moments. It's like, Hey, I'm going to like throw you into this thing. And then, but you still have to choose to have it go different. Even if it throws you in. I think I got really lucky because I didn't have to have some horrible thing happen. Um, super grateful for that, that I just got to, mm-hmm. I got an opportunity to like open my eyes and say like, Hey, it's time to wake up. Um, What I did with it was I went back to New York and I didn't know what to do. I I didn't read self-help books. I didn't know what a coach was. I didn't go to seminars. I didn't listen to Tony Robbins. I didn't do any of those things. I was, you know, I told you what I was doing basically. And uh, I went home and I looked at my life and went, what what isn't providing value? What isn't actually making me live the life I want to live? So the first things I noticed was like, man, I watch a lot of TV hours of TV every day, often falling asleep to it at night. So I canceled my cable. I'm not saying cable's bad, you should cancel. But for me, it was like, man, I was spending hours and that wasn't contributing to anything in my life. I was watching hours and hours and hours of sports a week. That NBA, like NBA Monday, NBA Tuesday. I mean, like, I, you know, me and Charles Barkley were like best friends, like <laughs> in, on TNT. Um, I stopped watching sports, like cold turkey. Like I'm done. I'm not going to watch sports anymore. Um, I made the joke to my dad at one point, I'll start watching again when those guys show up to see what I do for a living. Mm. Um, and again, nothing wrong with sports, you know, they're great. It just wasn't, it just wasn't helping me to get, create the life that I wanted to live. Um, 
And I looked at like other things like, you know, where was, what was I going to do at that time? So I started, so I decided to start reading, which I did not do at all. Um, who I was hanging around. Hey, I can't be spending my time in bars all day long. Um, and so I started to make little adjustments like that. And the amazing thing was with each one of those choices, a new door opened, right? With every book I was reading, a new conversation happened. Uh, when I decided I needed to become work on being positive, optimistic instead of realistic or negative, different people wanted to spend time with me. Also, people that couldn't be with that weeded themselves out. Mm-hmm. You know, people that me trying to change my life triggered something within them. Like they took themselves out of the equation. Um, so things started to shift and I just kept opening new doors, right? Like going to a networking event, which I never would have gone to just to see what was out there. Mm-hmm. And next thing I knew, I started meeting coaches, which was like the big, that was like when everything changed because I was like, who are these uber positive, like unrealistic, joyful people that think anything is possible? <laughs> That's nonsense. Um, yeah, that's funny. And, uh, that's what I thought. And I, it took me to, I met seven people that called themselves coaches before I actually took one up on an offer of a session. Um, I, and all the one thing that all those coaches had in common is when they, which is unique is they went through the same coach training program in New York city, which I think to this day is like the most aggressive, rigorous, um, you know, deep like training that there is. A lot of people just become coaches. They just throw the label on print a business card. But this was like a really rigorous, a year long program, cost almost $18,000. You know, it's like, this was an, a, a commitment and an investment in a training. And after that session with that coach, I was like, oh my God, I realized in a moment, my life is the way that it is because of me. Mm. I'm the common denominator in every single area of my life my physicality, my health, my relationships, my job, my money. There's nothing else that's a common number. It's just me. So I'm the reason my life is the way it is. And if I want my life to be different, then it's up to me to take 100% responsibility of it and change it. Wow. There's, you just dropped so many nuggets and tools for people to tap into. And, and I hope that listeners, when they're tuning into this, that they, they realize that there's a very critical sequence of events that you just laid out and you know we say this all the the time in the world of health like if if the person's not willing to give up the things that are making them sick there's no hope for that individual and that's actually a a paraphrase of a Hippocrates quote that uh, many of the doctors that we that we train with uh, have on their desks because it puts the responsibility back on the individual and you just you went home you started weeding the garden man like you started pulling out the tv you started you know shifting things little by little that open you up to new conversations people want the magic pill they want to go from here to there and they want it to happen the shortest possible time and you just by virtue of saying okay what's not working in my life you know and then the next step from there and then it eventually led the story down to connecting with mentors which you know in the world of health in the world of business in the world of fitness i don't care what world that you're talking about you need someone who's been there before who or who can take you along on that journey and and then as you as the core message you taught was you have to choose it for yourself um amazing david uh, what do you want to say on this buddy well just an amazing story man there's so much i can relate to just hearing kind of what you went through 
And, you know, me and Nick are always talking about as human beings, we constantly have this massive thirst for growth and evolution. I mean, we're built to grow and evolve. And I think we just feel like, like you did. And I was guilty of this. And I'm sure Nick had his period of, we fill our life with all this crap <laughs> that we think brings value to our lives. And then you finally hit a place where you're like, like you did, where you're like, this isn't, this isn't it. Like, I'm, I'm not getting anything out of this, right? And, and you probably went down that list, right? I got the car, I got the house, I got the pretty girlfriend, I have the great career, I have the money, I have all these things. All these things that society makes this thing is what's going to bring value to your life. And you finally, you, you attain it all, and then you're like, I, you feel empty because you're like, that's not it, right? And when you hit that, I think it's an epiphany moment for a lot of people where they realize, oh, wow, like, I got to start all over. And it's funny when you start making those choices like you did and you started making changes in your life, all the, you start attracting to yourself, all the things, all the, all these doors, like you say, to get the growth that you need. And like you're saying, but you have to step into it and it takes a lot of courage and, and buddy, my hat's off to you because what you did took a lot of vulnerability of finally just turning and looking inward, which a lot of people are afraid to do. Mm-hmm. Like they know that they need to do that, but it's so scary for people to start to turn and look at themselves in the mirror and really be like, okay, yeah, it's a gut check. It really is. Yeah. And, but, and yeah. the fear doesn't go away either. I think that's like the crazy thing. It's like, it doesn't, it's natural, right? Like it's built into our busy physiology to keep us safe, right? We're just, we're just creatures that our societies evolved. We're still the same as people 500 years ago, essentially. Um, and so I think the things that you just talked about, thank you for acknowledging the, you know, the, the courage and the vulnerability and it still shows up. I, you know, I, I always often, I share a lot with my clients, the things I'm currently going through, because I think sometimes people start to think like, oh, they got it, you know, he has it figured out or like, he's not up against these things. And, you know, it continues. It's just new. It's just like new layers. Right. And it's like every mountain you reach, I don't know whose quote this is, but like every mountain you reach the pinnacle of, there's another mountain to climb right after that. And that one's going to be even more daunting than that one. Mm -hmm. So I have a quick question because you keep bringing up this theme of fear. And I had a patient yesterday. We do it. We do Kundalini yoga and I'll pass it together. And uh, he told me one of the gurus that he actually had teach one time said that everybody's actions on almost a daily basis are driven by fear to some degree. And so can you speak a little bit to the whole fear piece? And then what would you say would be the opposite end of that for you where people maybe need to turn their focus? Because one of the big things I tell people about fear all the time, I say, look, fear is not real. We create fear. There's only danger, right? Yeah. And, And that's it. But from a survival standpoint as human beings, I feel, and this is just my opinion, when we feel fear in our lives, it's, it's, it's kind of pointing the compass to where there's growth needed with self. Yep. And, and there's so many people I think that don't understand that concept. Can you, so can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, totally. Um, so I think the, um, fear is just a, uh, fear is like the service of our ego. Like I think our ego is designed like its job is to keep us safe and exactly where we are. So even if we're in a bad situation, like we're getting abused, you know, when we look at like a domestic violence, we can come up with all the reasons why people don't leave, 
But one of the big reasons is like they're actually, there's a psychological, they know what to expect where they are. Where like leaving is an unknown. Where am I going to sleep? How am I going to get money? Those things occur as more scary because they're just unknown. Um, and, I, and I agree with you, like fear is in your head. I, I just recently shared with somebody, fear isn't a dragon that's going to bite your head off. It can't bite your head off because the dragon's in your head. Hmm. It, it's not actually, but we relate to it as real. And I think for, um, and I think so when you said what's on the other side, I'm a big, like, it's fear and love. That's the paradigm. Um, I think love is what we are in our natural state. And we unfortunately live in a society and a world that has created this idea of fear as a way to separate us. It actually keeps the majority of us really small. It keeps essentially power within a small few, um, whether that be like religious power or political power or money power. Um, if we weren't afraid, what would we be capable of? You know, we would be doing unbelievable things with our lives if we weren't uh, feeling like we had to be afraid of something. And everything is keeping us afraid, right? Like, I mean, even um, even like when like all the media, look at look what's on media is like terrifying images all the time. Um, and I, so for me, fear is something that. I get to, I think we get to look at, we get to sit with, we get to be with, because it isn't real, but our experience of it is real. Mm -hmm. So like something that I, um, I'm in a new phase where like, hey, I've been, I've been doing what I'm doing now for five years. My, you know, my practice is, is, is fantastic. It's grown every year. I published this book, my podcast is getting bigger. And now it's like, hey, if I want to get to the, the next level, I have to actually put down some of these things that I've kind of figured out to like open up that next thing. And that's terrifying again, because I, I got this part figured out and now I want to go to the next level. I, it's almost like, you know, you just went from, from high school to college or college to, to the professional level. And now you're playing like, yeah, you were good in college and now LeBron James is on the other side of you. Mm. And yeah, you can pretend like you got it, but there's a part of you that's like, that if you're honest, I think there's a part, there's a voice in our head that wants us to, um, hey, you don't want to do this, or let's fake it, let's run through it. So I'm actually in a, I, I'm an advocate for be with it, like look fear in the face, right? Look under the bed, right? We do that with our kids, right? There's nothing under there. Mm -hmm. Look in the closet, face it, and it'll dissipate. It will go away. But if we do what I think men are trained to do, which is just like put their head down and run through it, fight against it. We don't actually realize that it's real. Sorry, it's, un it's not real because if we have to run through it or fight it, we're making it real. We're actually, we're validating its existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's right. such a powerful teaching there. I mean, you, you brought up a couple of themes that, that I want to just circle back and make sure that um, listeners can have an anchor point for them. And one of those things that you mentioned that you also related to, you didn't say these words, but it's the same thing. And that sacrifice, we have a, a really, I think negative association with sacrifice and the way that, that we see it is that you're giving up something of a lesser nature in order to move into the energy or vibration of something greater. And you basically Marie condoed your, your life when you came back from that um, gratitude experience <laughs> and you keep doing the same thing. And in relation to fear and, and the unknown, um, yeah, we're totally taught to be afraid of the unknown. Like you said, that's, that could be coming from the ego. It could be just coming from conditioning. We're not 
really taught as a, as a young child to like to be in your resistance. And I know something as a dad with two young boys, I'm constantly encouraging them to face their fears, face your challenges, you know, see what comes out. What if the worst possible thing or what is the worst possible scenario that could happen? And what if you get into this experience and that doesn't happen, that, that right there is a win. So, I mean, the, the, the lessons that you're sharing here are huge. And I want, we're going to dive in, uh, unless something else comes from that, um, I want you to dive into, again, the opposite of fear, dive into self-love, and what does that mean for you? Oh, man, self-love is, uh, especially I think for men, is not a topic that we, it's not a topic that we talk about. Nobody's sitting around with little boys talking about self-love. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's talking to anybody about self-love, really, but I think women have more of it built in to like the way like women do things I think like they go get their hair done they'll get like their nails done they're doing things I don't know if they relate to that as self-love they might not it might be a performance thing but I don't men don't have a lot of like these ways that we just take care of ourselves and again it's all about how you relate to it right you could going to the gym could be self-love but I think a lot of people go to the gym not as a version of self-love it's actually to fix something that they think is wrong mm-hmm. they need to be stronger they need to look better that's not self-love yeah. um so for me, self-love has only, last year, I want to say, was like a really big breakthrough year for me in self-love in recognizing that like no matter what I do or don't do, I get to love myself, that it's an inside job. Um, I don't know, are you guys familiar with Marion Williamson? Mm-hmm. So Marion Williamson's book, Return to Love, is, an, is a really big anchor for me. And it is... Um, it's it's so powerful and it's so like a, like almost like a divine feminine in the way that she writes it and presents it and i think as a man um part of loving yourself is actually embracing that we have this powerful feminine inside of us also right like when we when we are born we're not like man or we we evolve into one of the one or the other there is a piece of both that lives inside of all of us. Like women can take on more masculine traits and men can take on more feminine traits. And I believe that a, a really um, conscious, developed, loving individual has both. Mm-hmm. I joke that I, um, as, a, as a man, I sit and burn sage and I'll hold a crystal and like tell myself I love myself and look for that like deep spiritual connection. And I'm lifting weights in the gym I'm looking at clients like holding their feet to the fire. Like, why didn't they do that thing they said? Um, And I have these massive goals that are more on the masculine side. Mm -hmm. But I bring in this other side, which lets me, uh, this feminine side that allows me to actually love myself, nurture myself, take care of myself. Um, And that is just, man, that's unknown too. That's like, uh, you know, I remember the first, time somebody took me to a crystal shop and I was like this stuff is crazy like what are you talking about this is nonsense um but the a lot the, the keeping the open mind like who cares if crystals are something or they're nothing who cares if sage is something or nothing if it actually makes you feel good mm-hmm. and you feel like it's contributing to your life what's the difference you know some of your doctors say things like hey if I rang bells over their head and it cured them like what's the difference mm-hmm it's kind of like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't remember who I was listening to a little while ago, but they, they kind of said the, the role of the doctors to distract the patient long enough so they can, uh, they can heal themselves. <laughs> and I, I can't help but agree. I mean, I mean, that's, that's for some people, that's exactly what we do is just, you know, cheerlead, 
and keep them focused. David, I know you got some stuff to say on this topic, buddy. Well, and you talk, I'm laughing at the crystal stuff just because I've always believed in a lot of that stuff, but until you see it in action, like you're saying, and, and you feel it, there there's, you can't put weight to it. And then like you're saying, like whether it does do something or it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like, like Nick saying, some of my patients will be like, Oh, well, is this really working? Or is it the placebo effect? I said, freaking cares if you're well at the end of it doesn't matter you got your money's worth like you invested in something and something got better i mean and look at the placebo effect studies they do it's off the charts yeah placebo effect is more powerful than any drug research that's ever been put into play i mean it's 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 a massive to where like joe dispenza is actually studying this whole effect of how these people are able to do these things um so yeah man like i'm with that totally as far as I mean, Nick, me and Nick talk all the time of experimentation and like, if you feel better and that works for you, then implement it as part of your routine or your habitual habits, you know, on a daily, because so many people I think close themselves off to so much because like you're saying this fear of the unknown or I'm going to be judged and people are going to look at me a certain way or whatever it may be versus just being who you are. And then, you know, letting everybody else kind of just make up their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have so many rules. Like, there's so many crazy rules about like how we should be or shouldn't be. And right, we can do this with every. And then we're we're obsessed with like taxonomy, right? Categorizing everything. And like for yeah, for some, I'm sure there's reasons why taxonomy is great, right? I'm sure science and medical things. But we spend so much time like you fit into this box and you fit into this box and all these things that all of a sudden we just start living in those boxes, and we forget like what's available outside of those things and again like don't go try you don't need to go try everything for the sake of trying it but i often wonder like i love one of you guys said before like fear is that like when we feel fear we should go to that place um i think right as long as it's not danger yeah it would be scary to go run on a freeway well (laughs) that's actually dangerous that's not actually like yeah and you might get a thrill but like you know i went skydiving because that's actually like a fear that's it's pretty safe. Like most, you know, the odds of dying or getting hurt skydiving in a, in a professional arena with people that are trained is you're pretty good. And I did it because I simply wanted to like look fear in the face and be with that thing. And I think we don't have to go skydiving, right? You could go ask that person out that you've been afraid of for a year um, or do whatever, or start that business or write that book or, you know, put that song that you wrote up on Spotify. It doesn't matter. But I think like looking at it, going forward into it and um, getting outside of the box, like, mm-hmm. you know. Well, you know what? I think for some people, skydiving is the answer, you know, and, it, and again, so I'm using skydiving as like a theme, but maybe it's, you know, something that challenges you. Maybe it's rock climbing. Maybe it's anything because we know this. And, and David actually took me on an experience a couple of months ago. I'd never been downhill mountain biking before. And there's something that happens in your brain with the neuropeptides and the dopamine, the epinephrine rush, the anandamide, and all these different chemicals that come together in the synergy, this, what I like to call the chemistry of bliss, that puts you in the state of flow. And you are forever changed. You're a different human being after your skydiving experience. There's, there's no way around that. You've literally wired your brain in a different way. You put yourself into maybe one of your biggest fears in life and overcame that so that these little things are just like releasing a book. Well, relatively speaking, releasing a book 
um, I mean, the act of writing is one thing. I mean, that's, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to belittle someone writing a book. Um, but <laughs> the actual releasing and putting yourself out there versus jumping out of a plane, those are <laughs> extreme differences. But like, as you said before, as, or as well, the feeling inside can be very similar. So you overcoming that, that big one makes all these other things, you know, so much easier. So I love that you're bringing attention to that. Um, well, and, and I would, you know, to talk to that Nick too, is like when you experience these things, like Nick is saying, it opens doors. Like you said earlier, Alex, like you, you start to see things and opportunities that, that you didn't see before because that fear was there. You know, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Will Smith because I love his YouTube channel. And I think I told you, Nick, about this a while back, that episode where he talks about fear. Mm-hmm. He's, he's jumping out of a boat and going scuba diving with his kids. And they get out of the boat after they had gone and looked at all the fish and stuff like that. And he says, fear will rob you in your life of joy and happiness. He's mm-hmm. like, everything in life that presents itself and shows you fear on the other side is that pure bliss and joy of experiencing life. Yeah. And it's just so true when you think about this. You know, we're constantly hiding behind that in so many different ways and we're missing out. We do, you just are. You're missing out on that growth and that evolution. Yeah, yeah and I want to, I mean, you brought up something uh, loosely before that I want to dive in a little bit, a uh, little bit more. And since, you know, we're three men, we're three conscious men talking about uh, crystals and mindset <laughs> and jumping out of airplanes and this dichotomy of this masculine feminine is so, so important in this world that we live in. Uh, and I want to bring that back to the physicality for, for men who are listening and women, because it, it crosses, uh, it crosses both energies, but tell, talk about your experience of body image and, yeah and shame and criticism judgment uh walk walk us through that and uh give give people an experience of what you went through and how you shifted that yeah um actually in this conversation i've thought of a new piece to this too which is really cool because i i just connected something that i've never connected before um which is uh unconditional love so when you talk about body image so i basically i'm like 511 I range anywhere from 180 to like 200 pounds, depending on how I'm eating and how much I'm lifting versus like yoga or something. And, but it's like, I'm always in a healthy, I've never been like fat. I've never been like in a place where a doctor would be like, you need to lose weight. I basically, and I've been like this since I was a little kid. Like it's, there's never been like a, Hey, I was a 250 pound, 13 year old. And that's why I have a complex. But I grew up in a family and in a culture in Los Angeles that is very visually, very, everything is visual, right? And I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a woman in this space. But as a man, it's a space that we don't even just talk about. We don't talk about what it is like for men. And so it's like all hidden. And when I was a little kid, you know, I remember looking up, I talked about this, right? Looking up to the professional wrestlers who are like, all the ones you wanted to be were basically jacked a lot of them on steroids and all sorts of things. And you looked at professional athletes, same thing. Um, and these are also grown men and you're, I'm a little boy and I look at movies and all the people you wanted to be in the movies also were like this. And I remember being like, that's what a man looks like, right? It's subconscious. I'm not like having this conversation as an eight year old, like with my dad. Um, but I remember seeing it and, and, and like locking in and then you hear like, 
you know, the little girls talking about like the, the guys that, you know, they have their little crushes on and they're, they're right. They're the movie stars or whatever. And same thing. You see them and they're like handsome and they look a certain way. And I remember getting this idea that like, that's what a man looks like. And I remember going from like having a lot of fun as a little kid to then being concerned about what I looked like all the time. And it didn't matter that like, I still could look around and go, wow, I look better than most people were depending, right. Depending on where I am or what the situation is, there was still a bigger fear of like, what if somebody sees something that's wrong with me and they're going to take away their love, which is the piece that was undistinguished, right? I saw it as like, I'd be embarrassed, but really it was like an, an I'll lose the love, which is all we, most of us want is, is love. And so I avoided things. Like I remember, you know, I would like not go to the beach. I would like not go to pool things or like, there's always like, but, and I wasn't, I was like charismatic and like, like uh, popular enough that it was never like a thing, but it was a lot of energy being expended to like hide who I, who I was or something I was afraid of that in all honesty, like probably nobody would have cared or noticed. And I grew up and at a certain point right now, this is a real thing. Because now I've empowered these beliefs for so long that now they're like really real. And now when I look in the mirror, I'm not, I don't mean like right now, right now, but like in, in through my 20s, I could see, I almost would say I saw things that weren't there, right? I'd look in the mirror and be like, think that I was like, I'll joke, I'm really close with my cousin and we'll be walking down the street and she'll be like, is that how you think you look? And she'll point at somebody that's clearly like 50 pounds overweight and I'll go, yeah. Like, I think I look like that. Now you guys can see me. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not overweight. I'm in good shape. Uh, um, I'm not going to be on the cover of like men's health or anything right now, but that's a whole nother, that's not even real. And I think that's the thing that we go through as if we, if we are in that state as men, we compare ourselves to things that aren't even real. Mm -hmm. You know, that guy on the cover of men's health is airbrushed. He probably only eats asparagus and like salmon, you know? Like that's what he does for a living. He works out all day long. Um, and most of us aren't actually willing to commit to those things. Mm -hmm. So why would we expect those results? But, but our ego will let us play that game. And I, uh, I think I suffered with this for a really long time. I mean, I'm still working it out. You know, I, I actually have a practice that I do hot yoga shirtless. I would so much prefer to not do hot yoga shirtless. It is like, I, I, but the practice is being with myself and having to like look at myself and notice what comes up, all the thoughts, all the opinions, all the judgments. Am I judging other people to take my, my, my off myself? Um, am I thinking they're judging me? And then to always try to come back to like loving myself somehow, mm -hmm. you know, appreciating the things I can or, or actually saying to myself, like, I love myself saying like, you know, you look good, you know, th thanks for just showing up here and doing this, this exercise. Um, but yeah, that is, that's, it's been one of the biggest challenges for me. And I think especially looking the way I do and in a world that I live in, in Southern California, no one would ever think that I'm in this space in my head. So it's almost like feels um, like I shouldn't talk about it because then, you know, they're not going to take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because someone could look at you and go like, you don't know what it feels like. You, you got everything going for you. You have no idea. And, you know, I see this with patients too. It's like they, they get so focused on where they're not that they stay exactly where they are. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, and part of the conversation that I think that this, this is going to lead into as well is that we have a body, but we're not our body. But when we relate completely to our body, we can't see these other aspects of who we are. And there's those areas that you allowed yourself to tap into to kind of basically resurrect this, this new identity, this new version of who you are. And exposure therapy, right? Like you're, you're letting yourself you're going into the fear, going into the resistance with the mindset of I'm going to be good no matter what thoughts come up and I'm going to pacify these thoughts and desensitize these thoughts to, to the, the person who's actually you know, operating this meat suit and, and, <laughs> and not identify yourself as, as body, but, but be very honoring and grateful that we do have one and that we're going to serve it as best we can in this life that we're living. Um, and such an important conversation. And I think it's definitely important for women. But I think in this modern time, this modern man emergence that's coming forward is that, man, us as men, we all have to look at this because I grew up with WWF wrestlers. I, mean, I could totally relate to all of that. And I remember hearing, you know, my mom saying, oh, someone looks, you know, fat or thin. Mm-hmm. And not, not to diss my mom right now, but it's a very yeah. common, it was a common dialogue. And, and uh, you know, I felt the same way growing up. Like I always wanted and had to look good. And if I didn't, my self-worth was on the line. So that's yeah. an awesome conversation. Go ahead, David. Well, and it's funny, as you guys are speaking, I, and then this is maybe just a theme for me, and maybe you guys can relate to this, is... I had my period of that whole like, oh, you got to look good, right? And you have this like self-image issue and you're constantly like, it's almost like your mindset and that that self-love is very superficial and that's why you're where you're at. And it's funny because as I, as I got into my 30s, late 20s, early 30s, you know, ego had a little bit to do with this, but I started working on ego. And once I started creating that ability to have more self-love and turn that inwards to find out more of who I was, my body changed. Mm-hmm. My body changed, and like I, by no means, man, was I like this obese guy or anything. I mean, I was. I definitely. Well, I did see pictures of you. Yeah, I did. I did look horrible, <laughs> but I mean, I didn't look like I do now. Like, yeah, I showed Nick a picture, and he was like, "Holy cow! I can't believe that's you." I mean, it wasn't that bad, but <laughs> the the point I'm trying to make is, I don't think people or looking inward enough, like you're saying with this whole self-love thing to get past ego, to get past all these superficial things. Because if you do want change in your life, that's where it starts. Because once you have that self-love, your habits change, your behavior changes. And I think the end result of that goes beyond the physical, right? The physical is going to be one piece, but then you have the emotional piece, you have the biochemical piece of your health. Like there's so many layers to that just from self-love, but how many people are there with that? Mm-hmm. Well, and Dave, David, part of your story, I mean, just relate what got you there because it was emotional burden, emotional stress mm-hmm. that removed or allowed you to perceive that self-love was no longer important. And then that's, and that's why I'm sort of laughing is because, yeah, I have seen the pictures of David before and after. Not, this is, and has nothing to do with judgment, but it has to do with trauma and ha- having to put trauma and survival ahead of self-love. And so maybe just share that a little bit. Yeah. And that's massive. You know, before my wife got sick almost 10 years ago and and 
basically had a perfect storm and she ended up with an autoimmune disease. And when that happened to me, I, you know, I thought I was healthy before that. Definitely my health was much better than it was before that happened to us. But when that happened, I went through this massive emotional traumatic period of my life, probably one of the biggest ones I've been through. And it had this massive impact on my overall health. I mean, my health just went to crap. And it's crazy how much your behaviors and, you know, and I really didn't change a whole lot about what I was doing. It was just the emotional taxing of what that stress did to my body. And it's so intense. I mean, you start to see why some people are where they're at with their health. And some of it's just purely emotional trauma. And they just can't recover from it. And the physical implications that has on their health is just massive. So I've experienced that in my life. And I can relate on so many levels to my patients or people that struggle with that. Because it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some, in some ways, I would say emotional trauma and some of these things can, can be one of the most potent stressors on the human body. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and it's just one that's not really looked at. And I think it's given its weight, you know, people go into the doctor and, and they look at all these baselines of my health's here and here and here, but they don't make that correlation to, Oh, my emotional health is what's causing this. And, and it's massive. So like what Nick's speaking to, like as I went through that process and I had to heal from all that, it changed my health. It did. You know, you were talking earlier about, you know, people have these life events and that's usually when we make these big changes. Like you had that gratitude moment. For me, one of the biggest catalysts that has changed my life, unfortunately for my wife, was her getting sick. But that has brought so much wonderful things into our life because of that it caused a shift in both of us. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, and, and like, yeah, as you guys were talking, I just kept thinking like, I didn't have that connection with myself until I went through that experience. And then when I had to have that connection with myself and get through that trauma, I came out on the other end with almost everything that I wanted from my body and, and all these other things from my health. And it's just kind of crazy now that I'm thinking about it full circle. Like, look at, you kind of have to walk through that door and, and go through all that experience to come out on the other end to be where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was going to say that that's the perfect uh, segue into, into Alex. Like you obviously you work with a ton of people, you know, you're coaching people you know, how do you help people bring awareness to their traumas and so that they can elevate their game and, and in that coaching environment that you do? Because, uh, yeah, it's a perf- perfect segue into that. So, I mean, I think first it's really important to, like, distinguish the kinds of trauma, right? Because I think every person has trauma. Like in, and, but, like, the trauma I've had in my life is, like, not... I want to say, like, there's trauma that I think it's really... There's some specific... Uh, places you should go. Their their therapy is is one for certain things, and then there's specific coaches that work with people like trauma on traumatic things. Um, I what I normally do in my practice is um, we look at like what the story around trauma or fear or the past is, whatever it is, because trauma would be in the past, right? And we actually identify like what happened versus what is like what happened as a fact versus what happened as like the story and all the meanings we've made up around it. And that first of all, takes a ton of courage to basically say, you know, that thing that happened to me to take all the story out of it and just say like the, whatever the fact was like, you know, um, I got beat up and not have it mean anything. It's just the thing that happened. I got in a horrible car accident. Someone died. 
not even a horrible car accident. That would be an opinion, right? I got in a car accident. My best friend died. And then what's all the, the story and all the stuff that we as a human being added to it, all the layers. So when I'm working with people, the first thing I start with, which is ironic because it's often the hardest question to answer is what do you want? And usually the response is that people tell me everything they don't want. And that's hilarious, right? Like, what do you know? But what do you want? And I think that's a lot of times people's biggest issue is they're actually afraid to be vulnerable enough to say what they really want. So declaring what they want, looking at what's in the way that could be trauma, could be the meanings that they made up about their life. I'm not, en- I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm too much. Um, nobody cares about me. I'll lose everyone's love. I'll disappoint everyone, all those kinds of things. And then looking at like, how do we get them from where they are to where they want to be? And the big, there's, there's two pieces. One is like the action, but the action is irrelevant if we don't change the way they're showing up, you know, the being about how they show up. And I have a really cool uh, story that just happened to me. I was with some people the other day for my birthday that I trained with like five years ago. And I walked in and what I was wearing, I thought they were going to kind of like give me crap for them. They just had on this, like, this big coat and uh, they were like, oh my God, you look so great, blah, 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 you know, God. And, and there were some people there who only known me for a short time. They were like, man, if you had seen this guy like five years ago and I look at them and I'm like, I'm wearing the same thing that when I, when you guys met me, like I, I literally have the same, not the same t-shirt, but the same brand of t-shirt, same color, same brand of jeans. They're all newer pairs. Right. But it's like the exact, and I, and I, and I had on like a couple of rings and I was like literally the same thing as when they saw me and they went, no, that's impossible. It's impossible. And I went, you guys can go back and look at the training videos. I'm wearing the exact same thing. The difference is, who I'm being in the clothes that I'm wearing. Like the way I'm showing up as you see light and joy and possibility versus the guy I was, was anger and like holding stuff back and bitterness and disappointment. And it didn't, and so that you remember it in that way. And I think like, like that guy that they met five years ago, same thing, had everything available to him that this guy has it wasn't actually possible for that guy to do all the doing things because he hadn't shifted the being conversation, the being of me transforming who I, who I show up as in the world as a human being made all the doing things possible. That's a mic drop right there. No, it was, that was <laughs> huge. Yeah, it was, that was definitely a mic drop. Oh, and Alex, I have two questions just off that, man. Um, one is why do people, why do people create stories around these traumas? Like, why do we do that? Is it a coping mechanism? Why do you think that is? You know, I don't think that we, sorry, let me say, I think that we do it automatically. So when we're little kids, we actually, you guys might know even a lot more about this than I do, right? Based on childhood development. I don't, you know, um, I know what I know, but I know there's a lot more to it. But the way I understand childhood development is, when we're small, there's kind of just us. We just like, it's like our, everything is us. And the way I explain it to clients is if you're four and you're sitting on the floor of the, you know, the living room playing with your toys and mom and dad are arguing in the kitchen, like visible, you can hear them across from you about bills. A four-year-old can't comprehend jobs and bills and mortgage and all these things. All the four-year-old knows is that there's the energy shifted, there's some tension, there's some anger, there's some fear, whatnot. 
And then they have to map that onto themselves because it's the only way they can process the world. So the four-year-old makes up a story about like, oh, maybe they're fighting because I did something wrong or I'm not loved or mommy and dad are angry because, and they map it onto them. And then as a four-year-old, we go out into the world and now that's our lens, right? Like I'm, a, I'm bad, I have a bad lens or I'm not good enough lens. And then we, we need to find, what is it? Cognitive bias, I think it's called, right? We need to like find evidence to show that the reality that we see is, is real. So we go out in the world and we look for evidence to show that the meaning we made up is actually true. And so we find it, right? That first time you get broken up with. Might have nothing to do with being good or not good enough. It's probably not. It's your first relationship, right? But you'll map it on, I wasn't good enough. The first time you fail a test or don't make the team. We'll make all the things fit the story so life and reality make sense. And then we become adults and we have all these made up meanings that are like hardwired in that are not, they're just not true. They're not factual. They're true in the way we experience them, but they're not factual to life. Mm-hmm. Well, and for our listeners, if you want a really good scientific explanation of what Alex is saying, Dr. Bruce Lipton's work talks exactly about this stuff in a child's brain and how we're kind of just uploading info from birth to seven years old. And that creates a lot of who we are as adults and why we react to our world. So, buddy, that was well said. I've never heard anybody Mm -hmm. kind of explain it that way. And then the other thing, Matt, is like you were talking about showing up and everybody thought you were, you had just massively changed, but you just really just uh, increased your vibration, right? I mean, you were, you're, you're, you're literally resonating at a different vibration. And me and Nick talk about this all the time, you know, like that conscious awakening. And, and, and yeah, man, I mean, it's like you said, it's the light walking in the room, right? And, and people yeah. just can't, they don't understand, but they just feel it. They can see it. And, and you're mm. just pushing out those vibes. So, yeah, man, that's, that was awesome. Thanks. Yeah, amazing. There, there's a uh, for all of you tuning in. I mean, there's so many nuggets here, and uh, Alex didn't just come up with them in in the last <laughs> ten days before he came on the podcast. This is something he's been living for. Uh, what are you like, thirty six years I, old? I just turned thirty eight. Thirty eight. Happy birthday, man! Happy birthday. Um, you guys are the same age, actually, right? Or you're thirty seven, David? I'm thirty eight in March. Yes. Thirty eight March. Close. Yeah. We're close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously you've lived a life, you're, you're, you're coaching people. Uh, we want, we want our listeners to be able to know, you know, what, what, what kind of coaching are you doing? Like what, what does that look like? How do they reach you? How do they get in touch with you? How do they follow you? How do they get your book and Amazon? And, and I think you've recently, or maybe soon too, you're going to put it onto audible or you're going to do a yeah. um, audio recording of it. So please yeah, let people know a little bit more about your coaching program and, and how they can connect with you. So, I mean, the easiest way, like you can get to everything that I do at thedreammason.com. So thedreammason.com. Um, and there you can get to my podcast. You can get, there's a link to my book on Amazon. Um, you can look at, you know, what I do as a coach and, and things like that. Um, so that's the, the simplest thing. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's, I mean, that, that's, I, I guess I can give you like a, basically the way I work with people in all sorts of ways, but ultimately like what I'm working on right now is I'm working with, like I call myself a performance coach because I think that's what most people that I want to work with want is they actually want to take the way they show up to another level in all areas. So often people come to me because they want to make more money. And what we find out is 
their relationship is actually in the way. Maybe it's the relationship with themselves or their, their wives or their husbands. And I don't mean like that's the problem. It's who they're being about their relationships are actually getting in the way of their money and, or the opposite, right? It might be, they want to way better relationships and, and their business is getting in the way. But I think people think they can compartmentalize, compartmentalize. And I'm really here to work with people to elevate all of their games um, and change their relationship to their life. Mm-hmm. So they are just like getting the results they want, but not because it's going to make them love themselves more. Like we're going to make you love yourself more. We're going to make you like yourself more. We're going to improve your relationships with your family, your coworkers, your bosses, your employees, your teams, whatever it is. And that's going to be the thing that's going to fuel the exponential growth. We don't have to like make, go from making, you know, 250,000 or a hundred thousand to like 5,000 more each year. We can literally like exponentially grow our lives if we get out of our own way. Mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately, I look for people who want to create like big partnerships, like they have really big goals and they want to work together, you know, going into the future to partner on like, you know, Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan, like let's win a bunch of championships together. Not like some small little thing. You can probably do the small little thing all on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, book on Amazon, my podcast, the Dream Mason podcast is all over the place. And, uh, yeah, my book will be out on Audible pretty soon. It's done. We finished recording it. We're just, I, I read the whole thing. It was an insanely difficult experience, um, but it's about to be done. And I'm also about to release a course based on the book. So it'll be, there'll be fictional authenticity, the course for those people that don't want to read. And in that course, they can like walk through videos, workbooks. They can also get some coaching with me um, at a really good rate if they buy the course. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this all comes together. Um, and on that note too, I mean, we usually leave our listeners with, um, with some home play, some, something they can put into practice. It could be nuggets from the show. It could be checking out your ebook because it's full of nuggets in there. Uh, what would you like to leave the listeners with uh, so they can, you know, elevate their life? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you two things. So the easiest one is, yeah, if you go to the dreammason.com, you can download it's my ebook right now is really simple. I mean, it's like seven ways to create joy in your life. And if you do them, you will create more joy. Your life will be better if you do those seven things. And they're all really simple. And I give you either instructions on how to do them, or I point you to an expert that will tell you how to do it basically for free. Um, so the dreammason.com, you can get that ebook. Uh, the other thing is, I would just ask people to notice, like start noticing how you're showing up in the world. So if you're going to a, you know, to a networking group later today, notice like what your thoughts are, like notice your attitude about going there. Are you like, I don't want to do this. I just have to, are you like excited? Are you, you know, are you committed to showing up and providing value? Are you committed to just going there to get a bunch of stuff? Like who are you being in the way you're showing up? And if that way of being isn't serving you, you get to change that. You have that power to go, oh man, I noticed like I'm about to go to this thing and I'm all annoyed and I don't even want to go. Well, don't go then Mm -hmm. or change. Go, hey, I'm going to walk in this thing and I'm going to be fun and friendly and excited and make that your job that night. And I think we can do that anywhere, right? If you're going home and you're pissed off and you're listening to this in the car and you're like, no, you're going to walk into your family. It's like, hey, shift who you're being. You have that power. You don't have to be at the, the, you don't have to be the victim of your emotions and your circumstances. You can actually, if you notice what's going on, make a decision and change how you're showing up. And that simple thing can change your whole life. 
Yeah, I love that. That's such a good home play assignment because it's something that you can do in every moment. And definitely, you know, d- definitely download that that ebook and seven steps to to increasing joy in your life. I mean, that, that's amazing, amazing stuff. Alex, you've been such a joy. Speaking of joy, to have on the show. Um, I've learned a ton, and I love how you describe things. You're so eloquent with your words, and you're so descriptive in in how you're explaining things. And it's coming from a place of experience, which is so authentic. You know, you've obviously shifted out of that fictional authenticity into. Um, I don't know, congruent authenticity, call it whatever you want. Um, it's really, really, it's been awesome getting to know you on the on the show. And, and I'm so just looking forward to seeing what uh, how listeners enjoy it because, you know, Dave and I have been on the edge of our seat. So thank you so much. Thank, yeah, thank you for the knowledge, man. I definitely learned a lot today. And I know our listeners took a ton away today, man. So this was great. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for the space, guys. I love the the thanks for like giving me the the platform to share my story. Like practice again. It's like always practice, right? Practice being both another level of vulnerability. Uh, you know, my hope is everywhere I go, my my one goal is to provide value. So, um, I you know I think we all did that together today. So thanks for helping me achieve that. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to The Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.